0: Welcome, everybody, to this new episode of Conversations Across Borders, a series of um, interviews that uh, Francis Elis of uh, GlobalNet21 and myself, uh, as of Tracy Streams, are doing together. And today, uh, we have uh, with us uh, um, Maggie Duggan, who is, uh, um, her, who is Maggie. Is, uh, as she designs and uh, facilitates workshops, about innovations, creativity, and leadership. And uh, today we're going to speak uh, about creativity and uh, our uh, journey. Um, so, um, Maggie, welcome to the podcast. It's delightful to be here. And uh, um, good morning, Francis.
1: Hello, uh, Marina. I'm here, ready to go.
0: <laughs> and, and, and Maggie, um, uh, you, you said... Um, I did not want only to use creativity for my work, but I want to, uh, creativity to be my work. And you started as a journalist and you are now working uh, in uh, developing uh, work, if you want. You are the founder of a company, Innovative Innovation. And could you tell us a little bit about the why and how of this journey. Mm, Surely,
2: surely. Yeah, I worked in the media. I was a journalist and then I worked in marketing and promotion and broadcast management, but I had a very insightful manager who suggested that I go to a creativity conference and I went and being there felt like meeting, you know, my own kind. Um, It was very inspiring. And so um, I started going every year and gathering skills and tools and techniques to be more creative and to facilitate people to be more creative. And I was using it in my, in my work in the media. And at one point I just said, you know, I don't want to just be using it. I actually want to be living it and teaching it and bringing it. So I very easily, I shouldn't say easily, over time, gradually is the word I want, I transitioned from um, using creativity and facilitation in the broadcast field to actually facilitating creativity and innovation and doing training probably took me five or six years to make that transition.
1: Okay, um, so you do what you call um, inclusive innovation and creative innovation, and that's interesting. I mean, innovation is doing something new and it can be good, it can be bad, but you use this word inclusive, um, which is a word that you know, begs a lot of questions. What do you mean by inclusive in the work that you do?
2: I mean a couple of different things. Um, One thing is, I really believe that a collaborative collective process is the most productive. First of all, you're, you're able to get the most interesting ideas when you involve and include more people. And second of all, the people who are about to execute those ideas have more ownership because they've been included and engaged in the process. So one part of inclusive innovation is making it a large group process, a collective process, which takes time and energy, but leads to some very interesting results. It also means including people for whom the solutions are going to have the most impact. And this is especially important in the work I'm doing because I'm really interested in trying to come up with um, innovations that will help people in the global south solve some of the significant challenges that they have, especially around the sustainable development goals. So how do you include people for whom the problem is um, the most severe and the most poignant And engage them in not only understanding what the problem is, but in coming up with the solutions. That's one aspect of it. I think the other aspect of what we're trying to do is to generate ideas that will allow for more inclusion in the world that will allow people to participate more fully in coming up with scientific solutions more fully in um, generating economic improvement and empowerment for themselves. So inclusion in both of those ways.
0: And, and Maggie, yeah, but you started um, collaborating and working, um, for example, with scientists to create new ideas. Um, can you tell us a little bit about the process? Also, how can we uh, enable conversations? How can we uh, foster innovation? Is this possible? Mm, it is possible. Um, if I could give you
2: just a bit of brief history, my... I'm part of an organization called No Innovation. We are a team of innovation facilitators who are based in the UK, in Europe, and in the United States. And inclusive innovation is an initiative of No Innovation. And we use the same team to do the work we do. Plus, we have facilitators also in Africa and in Latin America and Southeast Asia. So that's the larger team. But we started working with scientists. And one of the reasons we started working with scientists is that the the Engineering and Physical Sciences Research Council in the UK realized that they wanted to have more innovative ideas that were interdisciplinary. But getting scientists to talk to each other across boundaries was really hard to do. So they worked with some of the founders of No Innovation. It's No with a K, by the way. Works better if you write it down. Um, To come up with a process that would help scientists who don't typically talk to each other talk to each other. So that is the core of our methodology. It's grown since then. we work with a number of research councils in the UK as well as different um, academic organizations and we also work with the National Science Foundation and the NIH and NASA and other organizations in the US. But if you were to boil down what it is, what our methodology is that helps scientists uh, come up with really breakthrough ideas for research proposals. It's that we create conversations, we mix people together who wouldn't typically talk to each other. We give them a prompt to have a conversation. Then we interrupt their conversation before they may come to attach to it and give them another prompt and so on. And we follow a creative process that helps them really redefine the challenge because sometimes we think we're working on the right problem but we find out with the right conversations that we're not. Once they've redefined the challenge, generate new ideas and do a peer review with each other uh, so that they can actually think about what are the best ideas that we all collectively have worked on.
1: I mean that's interesting that you started working with scientists because you know we live in a time now of climate change and lots of people are criticizing many many scientists because they talk their own language and they don't know how to communicate the dangers to people who don't talk that language. And it's very turgid language very often. So is that one of your aims, to get people to talk a common language that crosses boundaries, not just in actions and understanding, but a language,
2: a narrative that everyone can understand? Certainly, ultimately, that's our hope. I think at at the workshops that we're running, we even have scientists who don't understand each other's language. One of the things we say to people at the beginning is we invite you to speak to each other in layperson's terms. Um, And it's sometimes, in fact, in that very collision of different definitions of similar words between scientific fields um, that some of the most interesting conversations occur and lead to potentially interesting research proposals.
0: And um, um, Maggie, you, uh, you said also uh, what uh, it's named the Africa Science Leadership Program, mm-hmm. and it is about leadership and uh, it's about trust. It's about impact. Um, how, how can we do this? How can we design a science leadership program and mm-hmm. what it is about? Well,
2: so you've hit, this is really one of my most favorite projects and my most favorite clients. Um, The Bosch Foundation, um, Bosch Stiftung Foundation in Germany, has funded this program, uh, which was uh, originated from the University of Pretoria uh, in conjunction with the Global Young Academy, uh, which is a great organization of early career researchers who are leaders, important leaders and emerging leaders in the field of science. Um, and the Africa Science Leadership Program is meant to put collective leadership skills in the hands of African scientists so that they can occupy themselves with solving the problems of the continent. And in doing so, possibly um, show the world how to solve problems uh, on the continent as well. Yeah. It's a fantastic program. It's really like, in fact, if you think about the the scientific process that we use at No Innovation to work with the funding councils to come up with innovative research proposals. It's the same process that we use in the science leadership program. The difference is the question on the table, instead of being a scientific question like how do we improve upon the nitrogen cycle or uh, you know something like that, it's more like how do we change the hierarchy of science leadership in Africa to create science leaders in Africa that Africa needs.
0: What? But, but uh, Sorry, Francis, uh, but, but it is, in this case, it's not, uh, for example, a workshop of, uh, of two, three days, but it is really a journey. And this is also the, the question how how to make, um, as to facilitate change in the time and make it impactful on the long run. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, well, the program itself, the fellowship is a year long and we have a five-day workshop at the beginning where people come together and then they go through the year and then we finish with another program. But I'm a big fan of these sort of deep immersive workshops because I've really discovered, and it's true virtually as well, um, but we always, I like to think also about the days when we used to meet in person. Um, It's that immersion that creates the trust Um, that happens over time. It has to do with those serendipitous moments that occur when you're, you know, at the coffee station or having breakfast Um, that helps people get to know each other. When people get to know each other and there's a bit of trust, then they're willing to take intellectual risks and when they're willing to take intellectual risks that's when the real thinking happens that's when the real problem definitions come to light that's when new ideas happen and it doesn't happen if people don't trust each other so a lot of what we're doing in the science leadership program is helping young early career scientists understand how do they build trust with each other but also how do they build trust with their teams and their labs so that they can have conversations that are cross-disciplinary and cross-borders and they can go further.
1: You talk quite often in in your answers there about leadership programme, leadership programme. Is that who you're aiming at? Are you aiming at leaders in Africa, for example, that will influence policy? Are you aiming at future generations of leaders? Or are you also aiming, much wider than that, at communities who want to influence policy, but they feel disenfranchised? What's your target audience?
2: That's a really good question. I'm really, really most passionate about trying to bring um, collective and creative tools to people everywhere, everywhere I work. I mean, hopefully after you come to a workshop that we've run, um, you've learned some things that you want to use uh, back at home and with your team. But I'm really, really interested about bringing our creative process to the Global South. And not in a way where we're saying, okay, we have this process and we're going to show you how to fix things, but more like an invitation. Here's a creative process. We invite you to use it, to adapt it, to incorporate it, um, to solve problems as you need to. So I really see what we do as bringing creative process to come up with innovative ideas, doing capacity building in the sense of giving people tools that they can use to be more collaborative and to be more creative and to solve problems together. I'm interested in the sustainable development goals, especially, um, and those are quite broad. So I'm interested in breaking them down and hacking them, if you will. Um, But part of the way to do that uh, kind of came in the side door. We were invited to be uh, advisors to the Africa Science Leadership Program, thinking that really what they wanted to do was create uh, scientists who were able to participate in our workshops. Uh, in the sand pits or the ideas labs. They're called sand pits in the UK and ideas labs in the US. Um, but in the course of discussing with them, they realized that actually our process could be useful in how we train people. So um, I guess uh, what I'm, you know, what, uh, leadership is a side door to helping create capacity for people to make change all over the place.
0: And this, Meg, um, you, you really um, move between uh, South-South and uh, South-North-South, if you want. And uh, um, in your experience, um, we we in the North, uh, we we live in this phase where um, many people um, start feeling that we need a purpose in life, that business needs to um, help save the planet. And uh, uh, we have a South that um, has, um, of course, sometimes different problems, like there are uh, uh, people, billions of people who do not have a toilet. And so uh, I mean, they, they, they have other problems than uh, looking. Now I'm joking about, I'm joking about myself, you know? and then um, uh, looking for purpose. Uh, how do you see this? Uh, how do you see these different positions in uh, needing to, to change and uh, saving the planet?
2: Well, I speak very carefully because it's easy to be in the North and talk about the South. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm even uncomfortable with that, except for that I feel like it's a really good way to say we in the global North don't know everything. Um, and I'm really interested and curious in trusting the global South um, to step up and come up with their own way of bringing their purpose to the table. Um, you know, I think... Um, you, you, you know, you, you talk about how we're, you know, we're looking for a purpose in our life. I think everybody is. I think everybody is. I think for people in the global South, that purpose is much more day-to-day, you know. Um, I don't know if I'm really answering your question, but... When, when, you, when you say the purpose is
1: day-to-day and, and you want to make changes, um, when you get people together, whether they're leadership people or whatever, what in your mind is a successful outcome is it that they've just listened to each other is it that they've broken down their silos is it they've come up with a lot of action points that they can then put to government or to business what would you expect to come out of your workshops Mm. that would make you think you've got a sustainable outcome
2: Mm. you know one of the great pleasures about the work i do is that i get to see people change so for me, there are a number of outcomes. One is whenever, I, whenever we run a workshop at No Innovation and Inclusive Innovation, we always want to have really concrete output. We want to see ideas that are actionable, that people are enthusiastic about and people have thought through well enough um, that they're going to be actually implemented. And that they've received peer feedback that helps them really think about how am I going to execute this and make this happen. So there's something concrete that makes it successful. But there's something else, too. There's this experience that when you watch a group of people come together, a little bit suspicious at first, especially the scientists, they're very suspect about a workshop. Uh, what's going to happen. But the thing about scientists that's really special too is that they live with all sorts of mental models. And as soon as they experience the beginning parts of our model and they see that it's actually going to work, they're willing to follow it. And when they follow it, um, they transform, whether it's just a slight transformation or a larger one, Uh, I think uh, uh, one way I measure success is at the end of the workshop, people look more open. They look more open-minded. They are smiling because there is a sense of accomplishment and a feeling of, you know, your your whole sort of your heart and mind opening together when you're working with other people to be creative. So I see that as another output. So concrete ideas a change in expression and experience of people. And then quite often what we hear from people when they come up to us afterwards, they say, you know, the tools that we used in this workshop are going to be really useful. I'm going to use them here with my lab or here with my family. And that's another output that I think is significant because that's really not only having an experience where people come up with ideas, but the residue of it. What's residual is that people take on the mindset of that experience to take on the tools and they use them elsewhere. And then there's a ripple effect about what creativity can do to the world.
0: Maggie, what, what, um, uh, what, uh, what I meant with this uh, um, uh, comparison between perhaps the two stages where we are in the north and this, in the south, it was to um, reflect with, together with you about the fact that um, uh, inclusive innovation has to provide inclusive future. And uh, the future, the inclusive future has to do also with uh, the the growth, the concept of growth and how uh, perhaps the South can come up with another way to grow Mm -hmm. than than we are doing, uh, um, what we have done. Uh, uh, How do you resonate with this? I I agree 100%, if you think
2: about how technology has changed in the global South in a way the, the leapfrogging that has been able to happen with mobile technology um, sort of skipped over things that we in the Global North went through to get where we are and that's helped create incredible innovations. Um, so I think that you know that's certainly one aspect of it. But I think another aspect of it is that um, many of the cultures in the Global South are more collective, they're more inclusive, they are, rely on family and community in a way that perhaps the more independent Um, Global North hasn't. I don't know. I I don't want to keep speaking about terms of the North-South, but I think that those values are values that they're bringing to the table as they grow and as they have an influence on the world.
1: When you get people together, I mean, what interests me is if you want people to make a difference, if you want them to change their attitudes, to look at things creatively, um, How do you choose those people? I mean, do you advertise it like a normal workshop because you don't know who you're going to get? Or do you say, look, I want a set number of people who I think will gel together and they fit in with my purpose of the outcomes I want. And how easy is it to get those people together so that it's exclusive, but inclusive at the same
2: time?
0: Hmm. Yeah.
2: That's a really nice question. I mean, there is a range of experiences as a facilitator that I could describe to you of working with a group of participants who were very diverse, uh, had very different interest in being in the workshop or very different interest or belief in um, what could happen in a creativity workshop. I've also been in workshops where people were very carefully selected Um, using an organizational psychologist, in fact, to help really select for people who not only brought the right expertise to the table, but brought the right mindset and the right passion and the right willingness to collaborate. And I think maybe that's the critical piece is coming into a room, um, not needing to be right, but coming into a room with curiosity. Um, And so Obviously, we prefer that because it's easier to work with those kinds of people. It certainly is more efficient and you can plunge in and get further faster. But I also have seen incredible transformation happen when we've taken some of the most skeptical people in the room and given them an experience that made them see, hmm, actually, it, does, it is worth taking the time to use a creative process and to bring people together. And we did come up with something that we wouldn't otherwise have come up with. You know I think one of the things we talk about in our leadership workshop is this idea of being a knower or being a wonderer and as a leader, uh, it's important to do both I mean if you have knowledge and you're not sharing it with the people with whom you're working, you're doing them a disservice by not you know giving that knowledge to them at the same time if you're always a knower, your people won't really grow, and there's a lot of value in coming in as a wonderer and authentically asking questions and being curious about how other people perceive things or how other people would approach things. And so we try to, in our workshops, create a culture where people are comfortable um, moving back and forth between being knowers and sharing their knowledge and being wonderers and hearing other people's knowledge or hearing new perspectives and new ways to look at their knowledge. And I think it's in that ability to be on that pendulum swing uh, that, that sometimes triggers some really interesting conversations
0: and builds trust. Maggie, you, you were asked uh, who is a good facilitator, and you, you answered that that uh, is a good listener, uh, is focused on the group, uh, is flexible, if in the room, but then you add that he, he needs or she needs to be vulnerable and she or he needs to care. Um, why this is the core of this vulnerability and this caring, real caring for people. Well, I think it just comes down to modeling, you know, how you
2: want to be. And whenever we introduce a new activity, like for instance, an activity where we invite people to introduce themselves to each other, we always model it first because otherwise... Well, you can imagine with some introductions they can go on quite long. Um, So we always model it and I think part of it is modeling what you hope people will be willing to do with each other. And I think the one way you can get people to trust you and be vulnerable themselves is to be willing to be vulnerable. I mean, I, I think that creativity involves some intellectual risk you know, we ask people to set their judgment aside temporarily and say what comes to mind because sometimes in those you know spontaneous idea generating sessions that's where there's that collision and something interesting happens, but it won't happen if people won't relax and and trust that if they say something stupid not everybody's gonna laugh at them. So we have to set the tone for that and one way to do that is by being vulnerable. And I think, you know, when I think about being a facilitator Part of it is being the knower and part of it is being the wonderer. Part of it is being in front of the room and inspiring people to go someplace. And part of it is stepping aside and just being that guide on the side. And so it's going back and, you know, I think being vulnerable is a really good way to help people move from being front and center to being on the side for each other.
1: Yeah, well, I guess in all workshops, stupidity is allowed because we're all stupid and not. and And so having, you know, addressing the problem of vulnerability is important. In, in Britain, and, and I'm sure in Europe as well, in Germany, particularly I know in Poland, we have seen a lot of citizens' assemblies and citizens' juries set up to actually confront a particular problem like climate change or a small part of climate change and to come up with recommendations about change. How does what you do differ from what a citizen jury would do?
2: Well, I don't know that I know exactly what a citizen jury would do. So it might be hard for me to answer that. But I I can tell you what I think we do is it's immediately immediately inclusive and engaging and um, uh, interactive. Um, We do a lot of uh, getting people to talk to each other in small groups and giving them a prompt that then... Leads them to something that then leads to the next thing and leads to a conclusion. So I would say that our work is a lot less about A general discussion of issues and airing of a community issue, but more a very specific problem on the table. um, Bringing people with different expertise to it and inviting them to come to a solution that will be implemented.
1: So I mean I'll, I'll ask this as my final question because we're getting close to the end and then Marina can do all the rest. Um, you, know, you, you explained, you know, what you do in that sense. So uh, how, to what extent is, uh, is what you do transferable to other situations? So, for example, in the area I live, we now have in the climate change area, a lot of sixth form as grade 13 Uh, young people who want to get together to form citizen forums to discuss aspects of climate change. Mm -hmm. And they want to do it in in a fairly open way to come up with recommendations. Given the experiences you've been through in the way you do things, what advice would you give to them?
2: Well, I guess first I'd say that the process that we use, our methodology is is based on a creative process um, that was developed uh, in, the, in the previous century, based on what happens naturally to people when they're creative. So certainly following our methodology works not only for science, not only for leadership, not only for economic development, for any challenge, you know, you know, what to do, how to spend your Christmas, it could work. Um, but in terms of your question in, in particular, there are, there's a lot of podium innovation. There are a lot of people who are standing up at conferences and saying, we need to do this, and we must do that, and that has to happen. And um, I'm kind of convinced that unless somebody is prepared to put up some funding at the end of a community gathering, at the end of an ideas lab or a sand pit or a workshop that says when the really good ideas that come out of it are presented and we're excited about them, we're gonna give you some funding to allow you to spend your energy implementing them. Without that, a lot of ideas come up, but don't ever get executed. So um, trying to find uh, economic support, even before you start solving a problem, is an interesting idea. It's what I'm trying to do as well for the Sustainable Development Goals. I don't just want to run workshops where we come up with ideas. I would like to find funders who say, okay, you're going to bring people who don't typically talk to each other together in a room, gather them around a wicked challenge, inspire them to generate some ideas that are really collectively collectively generated, and if we're excited about them, we'll help you make sure they get implemented.
0: Maggie, uh, somehow it is, uh, um, if, now if I would ask you, what, how can we change? How, how does change happen? Uh, if I understand correctly, you need uh, a goal and the possibility to realize it. Or, uh, uh, how, how does change happen in your opinion?
2: Well, I think it can happen in a lot of different ways. It, it requires passion and commitment, for sure. Um, maybe it requires you know, just sort of being so fed up that you have another choice. But, you know, again, I think that if we really want to make changes around um, the sustainable development goals and trying to make world problems change, we need to work together. We need to bring people who don't typically talk to each other together. We need to listen to each other's perspectives. And then we need to put our money where our mouth is and say, we're going to execute these and we're going to make, we're going to make change. We're going to make Economic change to make things happen differently.
0: And Megan, you you have probably, and I'm sure, um, uh, changed um, uh, many lives. Uh, but how has this journey changed you?
2: Well, it changes me every day. I mean, in order to, in order to work in the field of creativity, you're working to something that's really close to your heart. Because when you're creative, you know, it's sort of opening up your heart. So, I guess entering this field and working in it every day. I'm reminded to um, just to be more open-minded and more open-hearted, you know? And I think that that's really, well, and especially as I get older, it's easy to get closed minded and closed hearted I'm hoping that I'll stay open-minded and open-hearted.
1: Okay, I, I, I said I, that was my last question. It wasn't my real last question, but <laughs> the last one really is, you know, people want to find out more about what you do, and how to get in touch with you? How would they do that?
2: Well, our website is inclusiveinnovation.org. Inclusive innovation is one word, and then .org. That's a good way to find out about us. I'm also, again, part of No Innovation. That's No with a K. One word. Noinnovation.com. I work with a fantastic team of people who are equally enthusiastic about creativity, equally passionate about solving problems, important problems in the world, and equally um, committed to working collectively to get people in the world together to solve these problems.
0: Maggie, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, it It has been an interesting conversation and we hope that we can chat soon again.
2: It is such a pleasure to have people ask you questions that make you think about what you do. Thank you.